I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to Hey, I Want Your Job, the podcast that looks at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. here with Asher Carr. And Asher, I don't want your job. I think you have a really hard job. And I really (laughs) don't want your job. But I am really grateful for people like you who have your job. And I have a bajillion questions for you about your job. So Asher Carr, what is your job title? Yeah, so my job title is Director of Operations for a real estate team in the uh, Alexandria, uh, Virginia area. But we also cover Maryland and D.C. as well, so all the DMV, really. That sounds bougie as hell. What do you do? (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot, but it's it's very rewarding for sure, so I, I love it. What do you do? Yeah, so it, it encompasses almost everything. Uh, the director of ops is pretty much in the real estate world. is like the COO of a real estate team. And along with my team owner, who's the C- CEO of everything, we I just pretty much look, o- oversee the operations of our team, making sure our systems models are in place and that the agents are getting everything everything they are paying for through our through commission splits and everything and making sure that at the end of the day, our clients are taken care of too through those leveraging services that we offer our buyer and seller agents. It's a very, I've been doing it. I've been in the operations realm. It will be my third year going into this new year. Yeah, going into this new year. And uh, it's definitely very rewarding because the, for me, the client is the, uh, are the agents on our team and uh, a lot goes on behind the scenes just to get deals done for buyers and sellers. So it's, it's definitely a rewarding uh, thing I, I love to do. So I have Netflix. So I feel yeah. like that means that I know exactly what happens in real estate offices because they're selling oh, yeah. sunset. <laughs> it's obviously exactly your life, right? So oh, yeah. you have Absolutely. big swanky parties, <laughs> you talk shit about each other, and then you all drive <laughs> off in like a Lamborghini. And, and that's how it works. That's basically the real estate game. Is that? <laughs> Almost. If those, if those reality shows only captured like some real truth for once. I think honestly... I have no like connection with them whatsoever, but like Selling Tampa, which is that newer that newer uh, show on Netflix that just launched like a, a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. If anything, in regards to content and what's going on, that's the closest thing to in in regards to understanding what goes on behind the scenes for stuff. And I, I won't spoil the show or anything, but like it's definitely, for, in my experience, there are a lot of things in there that I could definitely relate to. And it was just, yeah, but other than that HGTV stuff, absolutely not. The numbers you see there, they're completely like not accurate because there's things that they probably didn't even consider, the taxes (laughs) and stuff like that. And then there's all all these different like little niches within real estate and the the popular ones that end up on the shows are really the luxury market. So all that, so in regards to lifestyle, you do, that is like true in a way. And yet... It, it really just depends on where you are. I, mean, I don't do the Lambo stuff. I, I'm not really big on on that stuff. My team, like we we drive Hondas, <laughs> like Hondas, <laughs> and that's a whole nother thing too because it's is a wealth it's a wealth thing for me. And yet, but yeah, there is a balance. Let's talk all about the wealth thing in a minute because that's I know that's a huge thing. For you you have a whole book that you've written about yeah. that and so we're gonna get there but sure. first i want to talk about something else that those netflix shows always raise for me and it's this idea of the halo effect that we like we trust we listen to and especially we buy from pretty people sure. and so one of the things that is always true of the netflix shows is they are all gorgeous right like yeah. they yeah. are all beautiful people <laughs> And one of the criticism that gets lodged against the sale community in general, real estate, other kind of sales as well, is that it's not very body image inclusive. It's very ableist in that regard. The people who have 
visible disabilities or physical differences tend to be excluded from those areas. I guess my first question is, what is your take on the role that the halo effects and beautiful people in sales actually pay, plays in reality? And then what, if anything, do you think we, the responsibility is of the industry to fixing that? Yeah, obviously it's all, all that is just really Hollywood. So you, you got the Hollywood effect with people just wanting to look good. You're, you're trying to present this certain image within these specific industries and with real estate in particular, like obviously the, you see all these big homes and uh, these mansions around the country or even around the world. And for that market, they're super ultra luxury market. It's a very specific market, right? Like you're not, there's a very small pool of buyers and sellers that people are going to, are people are going to have connections with and everything. And to, for me, watching these shows, uh, how they glamorize a lot of these things, it's just, it just really, it, to an extent, just does a disservice to what we actually do. Effect is, that's an established psychological thing. Like right. we know that the halo effect is real, that pretty right. people have an easier ride in life. Yeah. And so that the knock-on effect of that in the sales industry is that attractive people tend to get hired more in sales because the belief is mm -hmm. that they're going to be better salespeople. And I'm just curious, because obviously you're in a strategic position within your organization. Yeah. If that's, is that even, has that crossed y'all's radar in the slightest? Or are you like, lady, we're just trying to sell some houses. <laughs> right. No, you know, it means a very valid like observation. And it's something that I don't think about as much unless you're watching so much. Like I don't watch that much of the real estate TV to be like, oh, this is that, this is actually a thing. And yet we, it, it just crosses that line of like discrimination. You don't want to just hire someone just because they have a certain look, right? And and everything like that. You really want to just hire based off their, their proven track record if they act, if they can actually sell if or if they can actually uh, negotiate deals. Because when you get into a specific market, especially in the luxury market, it, it, like looks would be the, honestly the last thing to worry about. It's just a matter of can you get a deal done. For me, especially being in my position where hiring and onboarding is part of it, I, it's just really solely looking at, at that skill set. What can you do? What have you done? What are you willing to do to get to a level of sales where you're comfortable and you, you get out of your self-starter and everything like that? And I, I feel that with everything, that it, that's where the TV really just kind of is a disservice to us. Like you don't have to look a certain way to sell this real estate. Like everyone has a story getting into the business. I definitely didn't come from a, a family with of like luxury. And you know, my, my father had all these properties and then he just passed a few down to me and all that. Cause people you have- You get a 10 million seed to start no, your business? I didn't get, no, absolutely not. I wow, not Asher. A million dollars <laughs> I, I, I was on unemployment when I first got on it and not everyone has that privilege you, know, you actually have to work for it. And that's, what's really humbling about real estate is that you get into this industry and you really just have to like, just figure it out, really lean on your why, and then be able to find the right people, the right leaders to, to show you how it's done the right way. And then once you get, once you follow that, that model, you can get a little creative and put your own spin on it. And the more repetitions you get, the more deals you do, you know, the better uh, chance you have in, making it to the end but yeah the tv as great as some of it may look and i mean i enjoy some of the people selling sunset i've i've been i've not watched this last season but i i enjoyed it selling campbell's great lane darrell listening la in particular is honestly my, my favorite one but like it's all great to see all that but at the end of the day for it's me really especially cool. yeah, yeah it's just there's certain aspects where i pick them like can't, they can't do that because that's not like ethical. Like you can't do that. And it's clearly just for show. So, that, yeah. so I think that realtors in general have this weird place that they sit in our lives. Like recruiters, everybody loves to hate them until they need them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I think that recent, so 
right now we're in the weird moment in the housing market, and we'll talk about that in a second. Sure. But outside of this weird moment in history, realtors are notoriously right at the list of the least trusted, like smarmiest professions when people do studies and that sort of thing. And one of the things that you said a second ago is, you know, what are you willing to do to get ahead? Now, I know that you are led by your faith and that you have a lot of strong, like moral compass involved in making those decisions in making the judgments around that. But talk to me about the pressures of the industry, like where you think the reputation comes from and what the pressures of the industry are around behaviors that are not always great and how they got that reputation. Yeah. From my observation and I I'll, like full disclosure, I haven't been, so even though I'm licensed, um, New, originally I'm from New Jersey, I have my license here, I have my license here in Maryland. I personally haven't been out in the field and actually done a deal because of my operations capacity. However, because of being in operations, I've been able to really see from a high level of how the agents were going to have pretty much this whole work so far in my short career so far. And I will definitely say that real estate is a very ego-driven industry. Like, there's no, like, way of hiding that. When we when you're in the industry and you go to these conferences and everything like that, or you go to a little seminars and everything, one of the things that they talk that they do in the intro is I'm, I'm X, Y, and Z realtor. I did $18 million in sales this last year. And our team is, is projected to do a hundred million in the next like 12 months. It's, it's like a line like that. It, it's what you could, you could tell sometimes that of how someone actually is as a person, not just as a salesperson, but like just as a person in general. It's very hard to not have that big ego within this industry because of the amount of the, the resulting amount of money that you make. And even though you can make, you could be, you could just come into this industry, very low, very low barrier. You, all you gotta do is go to real estate school for a month, pass school tests, pass the state tests, and then boom, you're, you're good. Pick a brokerage and then you can go on your way. And then once you start going, it just does something to you. And for me, from what I've experienced, from what I've seen, I feel like we get some of that bad rap because of just how it, just how it's, how it is. Like, you're not just given business as soon as you join it, as soon as you join a brokerage, even though that's, it is kind of a thing, but not to a point where they're feeding you constantly. Like you have to be able to just get fun, just understand this is a very tough business. Like you can't just get in there and be like, oh, hey, I'm a realtor. Like you, you it, it takes a number of, it takes a number of conversations to get to that one person to say, to raise their hand and be like, hey, look, I want, I need, I want to do business. And so I think it's just a matter of just not like the fear of failure in this industry is, is definitely very real because if you get, you go through real estate school, just hundreds, close to a thousand dollars for your initial investment to just get everything set up and then you don't do well, like it's just, you're done. And then it's just also the fear of looking salesy all the time. Like you want to hit up your friends like, Hey, I'm a, I'm an agent now and blah, blah, blah. If you know of anyone looking to buy, sell or invest in real estate, like I'm your, I could be your guy. And all of that is really just based around mindset. Cause I did, cause when I came into the industry, the, fir the first team I, came, uh, I, I onboarded with, I actually did those calls. I did cold calls uh, and they were, they were generating internet leads and they were just getting um, piled up in, in their lead gen system. And they, there was just so much they just needed to reach out. So they actually put me on. So on my second day, uh, they put me, they gave me a script and everything like that. And I did, no, I just did the, the first five calls. I was just like, Hey, this is Asher from the team. Just wanted to call to see if you were still looking to buy, buy or sell a home and everything. And I, I was very nervous. I had that fear of just being that guy. And yet at the end of the day, this is, it's just, this is something I have to do so I could survive. Like at that time I, I came into this team on unemployment. I had lost my job a few, like that summer. And I, and I saw that opportunity to get into real estate, which was my passion, which was a vehicle for my passion, which is to help people and, and everything like that. And. And when, when I got to the point of making these calls, like it, I was defeating myself. I, 
I had all this fear of like, what if I can't do this and everything? And but I'm here now. There's a reason why I'm here. So like an hour in, I, I was able to get my first appointment for that I could set for my team. And then boom, another one. And then I just did at least one or two a day and just had this mindset of like, if I could just do one appointment a day, then things will be all right. And 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 that's the thing with that's the thing. Like not a lot of people out there realize like why some of us sales salespeople in real estate are the way we are. We have a huge why to go off of. And sometimes it makes us look desperate. And that's more of a skill <laughs> thing. And and which I get because <laughs> I was definitely there. Even from from a back end standpoint, I was definitely there. And yet it's just a matter of just getting your skills to a level where it doesn't seem as sketchy or that you really need to remember that this is a people's business. This is a people business. And unfortunately we do it. There are agents out there that do it the wrong way and they don't take care of the clients. And that's not what my team is about at all. So, um, so I want to rewind because something that you said a couple of times in there was you have to remember your, why you got into this and that you got into this to help people. There's a thousand ways you could help people and a thousand businesses that like, I know recruiters who tell themselves they're in recruitment to help people. They're lying to themselves. That is not what they do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like there are other things, right? There's a million ways, especially for a man of faith, right? Like you could have gone to the seminary and gone that route. You could have become a nurse or a doctor or an EMT or a firefighter or a giant list. Yeah. Why real estate? Like of all of the things you yeah. could have done, yeah. how did this wind up being where you went? Yeah. So I was in finance. So professionally, uh, I start off in finance and financial operations and analytics. Uh, so I worked with Bloomberg, U UBS, Mitsubishi Trust. I was in private wealth before I got into, before I, just, I went for my license in Jersey. And while I was doing finance my last two years i started going into real estate investing so there's real estate investing and then there's real estate re or like retail retail is more your traditional pretty much what you see on tv um to get your license all that so selling sunset all that and then there's real estate investing which they nowadays are actually trying to showcasing with indie shows but real estate investing pretty much finding a home to to purchase like a beat up home, you renovate it and then you rent it out and then you start getting some monthly income coming in. I, I got introduced to that from my stepdad. Uh, he said, Hey, look, if you do this, if you do put an hour a day into this and you start get, getting yourself some investment properties on the side, you know, this could really, you just really start scaling up. And this is where he really started introducing me to wealth generation, to really building wealth at, at a young age. It took me nine months until this was like 20. 17 so 2017 he gave me this whole thing end of 2017 and 2018 i pretty much started this whole real estate investing thing calling zillow leads for sale by owners who are looking to sell their home i would just call and say hey are you interested in working out a creative financing deal which at that time which pretty much means i don't have money i don't have a lot of money right now up front to give you as if you were to have an agent give you know bring a buyer to you however if you're open to creative financing, we could put a deal together where I could pay you off an X amount of time. And Actually, while that sounds I, like it takes a lot I, of fast talking, it, I can tell you straight <laughs> away what most people would be like, nope, click. Yeah, yeah. So you I you say how you're not good now. at sales, but if you talk to that, like how many properties did you bring on with this fast talk of yours? So with that, so that was like a version, that was pretty much me just explaining what just simplifying it in a way. But pretty much, I did have a few deals in the pipeline, but ended up not working out. But I did end up getting one for a few months and nine months in. So again, like I was just doing this part time. I was doing an hour, maybe two hours a day, just calling Zillow leads, just you know, giving pretty much giving an option to people for whoever is looking to sell their homes fast or for whatever reason, whatever. Hey, would you be interested in pretty much being the bank and then having, just having me make the payments to you for, for next year, two, three, five years, whatever. And then by that time, 
they'll get paid off and, and everything like that. So there's just a lot of just like things in the back end. However, but like it, you don't necessarily have to get a traditional loan to, to close on deals. There's a lot of creative ways. So that's what kind of attracted me. And within that experience, I was able to meet a lot of great people, really nice people, saw a lot of great cool homes. And yeah, by my ninth month, I was able to close on one in the Poconos. And I was making some nice cash flow for like three to four months. And then they, the tenants stopped paying me. And so I had to, so I had to experience that whole eviction process and then you know, triggering that. And they, you know, eventually they, they got out and the, the house, it just pretty much brought it back to the, uh, it uh, brought possession back to the owner. He wasn't completely out, out of the deed or anything. Interrupt. This is a great yeah. story, but I have to interrupt because the question for you on on that piece of the experience. I have a rental property. Mm-hmm. Um, I consider myself to be a nice human. I try really yeah. hard to be a, a decent human being. Yeah. And I had a tenant from hell. Yeah. <laughs> that we had to kick out, and that they did twenty thousand dollars for the damage to my property. Oh, my. oh wow. you don't even know. I'll tell my you offline some of the horror stories. But one of the things that I found fascinating Mm -hmm. was that as I was going through that and I was trying to find like places for support and that sort of thing, there was so much demonization of landlords. Like Mm -hmm. everywhere was like tenants, right? Don't let your landlord like mess you around. I'm I'm not trying to mess anybody around. I have (laughs) to pay and I still have to pay this mortgage and I have kids. And it was really, it was fascinating to me that we had this immediate, the landlord is the evil bad guy. And I'm like, but I also just needed to diversify, like to diversify the money that I have. I'm not evil. I charge a very fair rate. I take really good care of my tenants. Like they aren't complaining. Right. Did you find that a, and B like, how did you handle that? Because I still struggle with it. I find that I don't, in social situations, I don't lead with I'm a landlord because yeah. people, not a big fan. So how did you handle that in that situation? Yeah, it's funny. There are definitely like bad landlords out there and it really just depends on how that housing is set up. So, now, so I'm sure your rental property is not like, some raggedy old house with broken foundation and just you no know, mice running around and stuff like that. Like that, if you're a landlord and you're just not taking care of that space, that area, like you're that, then you deserve that stereotype because and you're not helping. However, if you know that you're taking care of your tenants, that you're get you're you're offering a fair rate, you're it's a very stable space to for people. To live in then I would just know who cares what anyone else thinks like you're doing what you're doing there is being an investor right you're you have a mortgage that you have to pay off on that thing but you're not really using the space so why not just rent it out and get some or most or some of that mortgage paid off so it's just really a mindset around there I personally haven't had that even even with this this tenant that really that wasn't the case they were just being just obnoxious about stuff and you just have to just be this is I'm, I'm a decent person i know what i'm doing like this is the this is the business um decision that i have to do so i can survive but and yet not doing it in a way where i just don't care about people like, there's just so there's so many landlords out there that just don't care and it's just really if you truly truly care about the space you would take your time to re- really screen these tenants like i do credit checks I, I do credit checks, I do background checks on those that were interested in renting uh, back in my home in New Jersey. My mom, she was rent, she rented out this, uh, our apartment basement there. And uh, when she was ready to do all that, I actually you know, took it upon myself to put whoever, put the applicants through a background check if they were actually interested. Uh, and, and know that one, that's obviously a safety issue. You wanna make sure that you're bringing in people that doesn't have a, doesn't have a crazy record and also want to make sure that if their income really supports the rent like th- that's there they don't have a bad record of, of not paying rent and stuff like that and it's just a matter of mindset again you just, <laughs> I, I would just leave with 
look, I'm, a, I'm an investor. I'm a real estate investor. And you know, a lot of people will be like, well, how do you do that? What does that mean? What do you do? And that's how you start having that conversation and inspiring others to kind of do the same thing. I think it's really interesting, your point, that you just have to – I'm so interested that you're, like, telling me I just need to be colder is the, what I'm hearing about all this because genuinely the the family that was – I've had many tenants at this point, and most of them have been unbelievably delightful. Mm -hmm. But there was, like, the first steps the doozy. And they were, he was a vet, and mm -hmm. they were, like, they needed somewhere to be with their kids, and it was this whole, they didn't quite hit the credit check requirement, and they were like, please, would you let my children have a warm place to sleep kind of thing? And I was like, no, it's like, all right, like, I'll, he, I listened to my heart and not my head. Yeah. Yeah. And I gave him a chance and I got messed around for it. But I think mm -hmm. that that's so interesting that your, like, response is, like, this is not a heart situation. This is all about <laughs> Yeah, and you, and I, I can definitely relate to you with that situation because I did have that. I did have one of those tenants that came into our house uh, and like he he did the he did the background check. So many red flags, like honestly so many red flags and yeah he was just trying to turn his life back around and stuff and uh he was good. He was actually good. He wasn't much of an issue till like maybe the last three months. But even then it's one of those things where you gotta you have you got to have your principles It's principle over emotion. You know, and that's the one thing, like, uh, when I was getting into investing in stock market stuff, that's one of the first things that they teach you is that you got to have a set of principles to abide by and not get so connected to, to, to what's going on in the market from an emotional standpoint. Like if you're going to trade at this amount of money and you're going to say, you're going to come out if when it hits this number, then come out at this number, like just, don't just Same thing with that. auctions. That's why I don't do live auctions. I just I put in my bid. <laughs> that's my top bid. If yeah. I get it, great. If I didn't, yeah. fine. I know if I'm there, Asher, that will not uh, be my top bid. I will totally yeah. be that person that gets like <laughs> and right. like twice what you wanted to. Right. I know that I am that, which is why I do the remote. Nope. Like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And it's all learning experience, right? Like, I, again, I could definitely relate to that. And one of the things I learned with this, that situation is that you can't have the other party control. Like, this is your home. This is your asset. This is your investment. And you have the power to bring in whoever you feel like is going to take care of it and be able to do their, do their job and pay you on time and everything like that. Like, you got to have, you got to stay controlled within those type of situations and not have anyone control you. And so that, that's definitely something that I could, yeah, I, I could definitely really, you're not the only one, but so, living me um, learn. <laughs> I'm listening. All right. For real though. So like I'm hearing all of this and I'm looking at you and you're clearly bright, super charismatic, very fiscally focused. The guy, my understanding is that the guys on the front line selling the houses take the most of that money. Why are you not that guy in the front? What was it about being in the operations of the back end that you were like, nope, I'm good right here. Yes, that's a bigger check, but I'm just going to, I'm <laughs> fine. If people only knew, there's we, we, you can make just as much or if not more on the back end. I mean, we're definitely on the operations and admin side of business, they're the lifeblood of any type of business. Like you could be a solo agent and you would still need admin help at some point. If you're doing X amount of transactions, the, the, so there's this, I would, I'll call like the, the three L's that they teach us in real estate leads, listings, leverage. And so one, the first thing leads, you know, obviously with any business, it doesn't matter what business you're in recruiting, no hospital, no whatever, you're going to need some level of leads or, or potential clients to actually get the business going. You have people that would are that would potentially need your services. So once you generate that and actually work it, then you're going to, for our purposes, it, 
listings is when you get a when you get a listing and you actually market a home and everything that happens to attract like for every listing you get you're supposed to attract like two one or two buyers right and then when you get listings going then and you're doing that business repeatedly and you get to a certain level then you gotta you you hit leverage meaning that you need to find other talented people to help you continue to do what you do and be able to scale from there and with it with again whether you're a solo agent or if you're looking to build a team you need a a level of leverage where it's going to be easier for other agents to join to to get plugged into a system and model and be like okay this is how we do the buyer's console. This is how we do the listing console. This is what happens once you get the agreement done. And for me, for operations, because of my background in financial operations, I felt that it was a good fit for me to get into the industry without having to, to go full commission because I wasn't able to afford that like at all. So I was like, all right, what can I do? How can I like survive right now and get back on my feet and be able to still pursue my, my passion and being in real estate and operations was definitely the, the fit for me. And no, yeah, I had a very unique position on my last book. Cause I was doing calls. I was doing the inside sales, essentially inside sale calls. And I was doing some of the operations piece suit uh, also. So I had like a dual role there. And yet through that, I was able to really just learn the business through talking with the agents, by setting appointments, by, by qualifying people. And it's really that the back end work that helps build any type of real estate business. And, and it definitely helps the agents that are going out there too. Like some, I brought in a lot of money. I, I brought in a lot of money for my previous team. Do you get a cut? Time. Like, so do you get yeah, a yeah. and Yes. So I got a salary and then I would get a cut for, I would get, yeah, I would, I would get a cut. Not as big as I should have gotten from an industry standard, but however, it was enough for me at the time. And then I, I was able, I, I grew out of that. And now I'm with another team out of, at a higher level in regards to operations. And yet it was just so much I've learned through doing both in a way. So, yeah. So we talked about like real estate in general, and we haven't really talked about this moment in real estate because it's wackadoodle, mm. Asher. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's, I understand, like <laughs> I live in the Austin area and mm. everything everywhere keeps reminding me that we're the fastest growing city in America. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's but, a lot like, going on. It's crazy <laughs> here. Mm. I get every week, I get like a, dozens of calls. Hey, mm. do you want to sell your house? Do you want to sell your house now? How about <laughs> now? Do you want to sell your house? I'm like, who are these people? No, I, I still live here. <laughs> Please go away. I was um, that guy. I've done nothing to indicate <laughs> I want to sell. I just put right. in a pool for God's sake. Like, I'm right. not going anywhere. Um, so, I have a weird sense of where the market is because of where I live. And then sure. like most of my clients that aren't in the Austin area are in the Bay, which is also mm. not indicative of real world. <laughs> Talk to me about what is the reality of the market right now for homeowners? Is it that crazy everywhere? I mean, are you like people list and then before it's even a live listing, you've got three offers and 150% asking or like, where is it at? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely right now at this moment across the board, no matter where you are, uh, it's definitely still a seller's market. Uh, there's definitely very low inventory still across the board. It's a little better for sure. Yet buyers are still getting into multiple offer situations. And what I've seen with my team, oh, with my previous team and my team now, what I've seen is what wins those battles, those multiple offers. It's not the price. It's not just the price. Even though the reason why all these prices are going up is because there the contingencies that are within that within the contract. A lot of them are getting late. A lot of people are not. We're not doing inspections early in the pandemic. A lot of people are not getting appraisals early in the pandemic. That's why all these, that's why the price is skyrocketing and people are like overpaying. And yet, and that is definitely still the case. It's just really a matter of terms. 
and pretty much how soon you can close. Or are you going to waive this contingency? Are you going to waive that contingency? Are you going, a seller credit is not, was pretty still non-existent. Like the sellers are not going to be like, yeah, we'll give you, we'll give the buyer a credit to help toward closing. If that does happen, that's a miracle in this market. But for the most part, since, uh, since lockdown, like, no, it's a completely seller's market. And if you are in a position to, to purchase and you're ready and you're ready to purchase just because, you know, life and you're like, you know, I want to get a home and everything, just be ready and make sure that your realtor, whatever market you're in, that they have a really hyper-local sense of what's going on and that they prepare you in a way where you're not shocked when you do submit an offer because you really have, this is definitely the time within real estate where you do need an agent. Like sure, we have the Zillow, we have the Redfin, we, we have all the stuff, all, all this tech that is helping this real estate experience get streamlined. And yet that there's, there's HI before AI. There was HI before AI. What I mean by that, despite, despite the technology that we have, to make things easier, the what the person that's actually in the field, that actually went to the school, that actually did deals, actually has experienced how certain deals have gone out, that's the person that you should still be going to. So agents are definitely more than ever as very prevalent. They're very, they're, they're a huge resource for your real estate needs. And I would definitely, I would highly recommend finding that that right realtor that knows what they're doing, and then. They have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that you get the best out of your investment, whether you're buying or selling. So I love that you said that because that's again one of those places that our industries overlap because there's so much of this yeah. chat about how all recruiting is being handled by bots. I'm like, yeah. bitch, I wish <laughs> my job was all done by yeah. bots. Like <laughs> I could do with putting my feet up a little bit more. I am not trying to lie. And so right. <laughs> I feel but it's the same thing, right? That people see, oh, there's this fancy app where I used this for, and I'm like, yeah, but there was mm -hmm. a human being that set all of that up, that facilitated all of that. There's a human being who is the one, my job as a recruiter, I feel, is to make sure that a good match is made. And so mm -hmm. you can't make a good match if somebody's going in blind. Right. So... I make sure that the people, my candidates that I'm working with, that they know the good, bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I know that my clients know the good, bad, and ugly of the candidate. And that they're never going to have a candidate that's all good. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. So it sounds very much like you're making the same sort of argument in real estate. And I find that so interesting because I never thought of me as having much in common with real estate people before. <laughs> so I, yeah. you're officially changing my perspective on these things. So <laughs> tell me if I was in the, in the very unfortunate position of needing to buy a house right now and was like, all right, I've listened to Asher. I need to find the human. Hmm. How do I do that? What do I look for? What do I want to avoid? What is that? Yeah, you definitely want to find an agent or really a team. I'm more of a uh, team person just because I've okay. seen how much, like when you work with an agent that is part of a team, you're not just getting that one person. You're getting a whole like. All right, now I'm going to interrupt because they all Go will ahead. tell you they're part of a team. Bob Smith with Remax from the Remax yeah. team. I know right. enough about real estate to know that Bob Smith is flying solo most of the right. time. Exactly. So, like, how? What are the? What do you find that? Like, how do you know if they have an actual team? And like, how do you cut through the bullshit to find somebody that's what you actually want to be working with? Yeah, I mean, I would just ask them straight up. Like, are you part of a team? Like, are like sure. You're Bob Smith from Remax, but are you like part of an actual team? Because like with Remax, Keller Williams, Sotheby's, all those guys, they're, they're obviously like the 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 big ones, right? Like that's corporate level. And then you have franchisees, if you will, where pretty much what teams are. So my team, a shameless plug, my team, Metro Property Group, is a Keller is under it's a team under the Keller Williams umbrella. 
So I could, so even though in a conversation I may say, yeah, I'm, I'm Asher from Keller Williams, the, I'm, I should, what I should be saying most of the time is like, yeah, I'm Asher from Metro Property Group, which at Keller Williams. And with, even with, at the corporate level, there are different, there are all differences with how they've shared the models with how to run, uh, you know, run a franchisee, uh, business or a team. And, and everything, but at the end of the day, when you definitely just want to say, all right, who, how do you do this? How do you do that? Because sometimes you know, with your sole agent, you're obviously doing everything by yourself. Most of the time, you're the one ordering, you're ordering the photos, you're ordering the, the yard signs. If you're selling a home, you're doing all that. But for me, for teams like us that we do, we, if you're looking to sell your home and you no, know, on my age, you talk to my I agent. I am not. Don't put me on that. No, no. I just <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hypothetically, if you're looking to sell your home, you sell home, you meet with our agent and they do the consultation and you like how we do business and to make sure that your home is marketed the right way, then they'll let me know. Hey, Michelle's ready to go. She signed the agreement. Hey, can you order the signs? Can you order pictures for this day? I'm like, all right, cool. I got you. And then, and then, you know, everything on the back end, you know, we'll take care of that. So the agent can really focus more on you and, and just get everything else, get everything else ready. So it's really, it's just a matter of asking, are you part of a team? And uh, really, if you, if you ask that, it's just blatantly just ask, are you part of a team or are you solo? It's so interesting that you're saying that, that having the team do that is a selling point. Because I will tell you that I have had other realtors tell me, you don't want to work with a team because with them, mm -hmm. they've got like some admin in the office who doesn't know you. He does, they don't care. They don't get <laughs> enough of a cut to have a dog in the hunt. So they're going to schedule <laughs> your photos like when they get around to it, mm. but they don't really care. Me, <laughs> I know you. I love you, man. I'm going to yeah. schedule like... So they actually, they position exactly the opposite of what you're saying, that like being a solo person, that they own every single piece of your process and that you know mm. exactly that it is them that's mm. going to be doing every single thing. So I've heard that spiel. Plenty yeah. I mean, so, it's, it, yeah. It tell kinda, me that you're just, right instead. It's, I am right. <laughs> but however, <laughs> I do work with, I do work with a solo agent back in New Jersey. She handles my business and it's just a matter of, again, this is a people business, right? You really have to build that trust. You really have to build that rapport. So if you do end up going, I'm not knocking solo agents whatsoever, because there are a lot of great I don't know. I, I heard a lot oh. of shade. A lot of shade. <laughs> well, I'm, just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, though, if you go with a team, if you go with a team agency, you just get that extra cushion of support that sometimes solo uh, soul agent doesn't isn't able to provide you even you know as even at their high level. So I feel that you, with that having that extra support, having that extra set of eyes on everything, like it it just makes things uh, easier for you as a client, and then for us to be able to just do uh, whatever we have to do to make sure your real estate dreams come true. But definitely, either way. It's definitely just the that was happy. a really practiced line. Everything we have to make sure your real estate. <laughs> wow, that just I came mean, out that was so was naturally sick. though. I didn't even practice. I don't think I ever used that. When I, I wouldn't. Was, I wouldn't. It just sounds like <laughs> oh, that's that is like ultimate sales. That was just me being me. So you just been in it too long, and it's become part of your DNA. That's what's happening here, Asher. You just find yeah. different ways to say the same thing eventually. No, I feel you. And like one of the things I tell my clients, because they like they're like, "Oh, we want to work with you. You're the mm -hmm. loud one and the smart one who's been doing this forever." Blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Yeah, I hear you, but here's mm -hmm. the thing: I got kids. <laughs> I'm gonna take mm -hmm. days off." Mm -hmm. spend time with my kids and mm -hmm. also sometimes I get sick yeah. and you're going to want to know that there's somebody who knows what in the hell is going on right. who can help you who can do things when those days happen and mm -hmm. so that's why me having a team is totally invaluable and I think that's the same thing that you're saying as well besides that everybody screws up like everybody makes mistakes and yeah. having a second set of eyes to be like hey <laughs> We didn't yeah. order the photos on that house. I think is all it, it, it can't but help. So oh, I feel yeah, like no. I feel like yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, there's going to be 
there's going to be those times either as a solo or as a team, like there's going to be something within the, within the process is going to go wrong. Yeah. It's just a matter of just being professional and then just thinking quick on how to just resolve it for the client and just keeping it moving. But, but yeah, either way, it's just a matter of my point, either way, it's just to just make sure that you're talking to quality agents or teams that, that actually know that they actually have your interests at heart and that as long as you feel comfortable with them at the end of the day and you trust that they'll get the job done, then just go with them, but just don't get. So give know. me your top three red flags for an agent. Red if you're flag, shopping like, for a real estate agent, what are the top three red oof. flags that you would listen for? Top three red flags. Well, definitely one other. It's going to catch 22 with this one, but definitely like their track record. Like really see how long, how many transactions have they done? This but nobody is, should it, ever hire you because you. No one should ever hire me. Because you've got none. So no jobs. <laughs> nobody I, ever gets the a first job. <laughs> but that's the thing. So that's why it's kind of like uh, a catch 22 because it's really a matter of their system. So I guess the, really the number one thing is what, what their system is like, like you okay. could have, you, you could be completely new. So I'll just take back what I said earlier. You could be completely new, not have any type of deals whatsoever. How, yet if you have a solid system to show your client on how you can get it done, uh, then you could then just go with it, have, have the confidence and really, and, and actually deliver. You could be a solo agent and still leverage the market center. So like when you have, when you are a solo agent, no, regardless, teams or solo, you have to, you have a market, pretty much the broker office that everyone goes to, to print out materials. They have trainings there and stuff like that. And especially if you're a solo agent, definitely you want to leverage that market because they have the resources to help you get things done it, 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 uh, as you're building yourself up and starting to you know get done yourself. Just leverage that. So making sure you have that. Number two, testimonial, have some testimonials. Obviously, this is more for like seasonal if you have some deals going, but definitely testimonials. Definitely follow the testimonials and just you know, see how they have been in the last month, two months, or even I would go as far back as the last quarter to see how those deals have been. Because people would say things. You'll start seeing, you'll see a pattern. If you see a pattern of five-star reviews, for the last three months, for example, like RLC, that's a pretty good agent or team that you should consider. If there's like an inconsistency of two, three stars, one stars or whatever, then you should probably just move on. Like you don't want to, but maybe, maybe you, maybe, yeah, sure. Go interview if you're still curious yet, just make sure you, you just want the best of the best within your market. So you want to make sure that you. So how do you balance proper. that with the with the Karen issue, because there is definitely like mm. most companies out there. If you deal with humans, if you deal mm. with the public, you're mm. going to wind up with a couple of one-star reviews. And it's, I was supposed to meet them on this day and they were five minutes late, one star. <laughs> like we've all seen those reviews right, because Karen right. exists. So yeah. like how, like, what, when you're looking at those reviews, what would you mm -hmm. be like, Psh, that's just somebody with an ax to grind. And what would you be like, okay, no, that's, that's legit. Yeah. Uh -huh. From like a business standpoint, I would actually reach out like to be like, Hey, what happened? Cause there's definitely been, I've seen reviews on other teams where like someone would leave a one star and the reply would be like, we've never even served you. So what are you talking about? So it's kind of just. And that's why it's important that businesses should reply and have some sort of engagement with those, with their reviews, because people are crazy and they will just leave reviews for no reason. And they've never had that product or service. It's just finding that consistency again, just, just reading along with what's going on there. And, and that's just my experience too. Like, that's how I pick things up. And from seeing that within this industry, it's just kind of like, okay, like maybe they're not bad. It was just like this one-off and because you're, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to please everyone, especially, but at the end of the day, if there's still a pretty high satisfaction rate, then, you know, why not go, why not see what that team or agent is about?
So I interrupted you. That was number two. So you owe me one more. What's your third red, biggest red flag in picking an agent? Uh, thought you were off the hook, but you were not, my friend. I did not forget. I don't know, because I was saying all that time to come up with one. was so good. Can I suggest I one? I think knowing the, the current, having the stats on the market, like really okay. understanding the market. Because there are certain things that agents should know that the normal consumer wouldn't and yet it's that bit of knowledge that really puts them in a great sense of perspective on how to go about buying or selling so like what you said earlier not a lot of people understand why things are the way they are but if you're when you're an expert in the industry when you've seen enough deals and, and enough of whatever going on you'll be able to share that uh, and so when you have an agent or team that's able to share that information on uh, to give you that clear perspective on what to expect then that's a pretty that's a pretty good sign that you should go with them if they can't do that that no because you right. can't just you can't just go so off what i have them. learned from this conversation so far is never give anybody a first chance never trust <laughs> anybody that doesn't have a whole like team working behind them um, anybody that ever gets a bad review, not the right person. And if they don't walk around with all of the stats for your entire like region in their head, they're obviously incompetent. Did I get that right? I guess. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't even know what I said anymore. <laughs> you put it like that. <laughs> so one of the things I want to talk about in the Uber hot market, because it's been in the press a lot, especially in the Austin area, and I want to get your sense on this, is this argument that historically home ownership was like a middle class thing, right? That that was pretty normal. Go back to like the 50s, like that people, the house with the white picket fence, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And so for tons of people at all income levels, home ownership is really important to them feeling like they have arrived at adulthood. And one of the things that we hear about as a concern in the press lately a lot is that the huge rise in house prices without a correspondingly huge rise in salaries Mm. means that more and more home ownership is going to be something reserved for the elite. And we know that there's a bigger and bigger like divide between the haves and the have-nots and that home ownership is going to be one of the things that is a purview of the haves mm. going forward. You're there, you're in the trenches, you're living the life. You tell me, what is your take on that? No, I think that home ownership, home ownership is still is still any opportunities for really anyone. Like, sure, you, we have all this, the, these prices going up so much, it, it may seem impossible for some, and it's just because of the people just going at it and just really risking it all just for one house. Yeah, at the end of the day, I think homeownership is still something that the middle class, like just really within that, within that range that you're still able to do. Not, again, uh, unless you're talking about something like in, within the luxury or ultra luxury market, which is completely that's different. Mean, yeah. But yeah, that's not, like, the, the media doesn't consent, like, that's just completely, like, pretty much what you see on selling something, like, those types of clients, like, completely different. Like, they, there's a completely different world, doesn't really matter within this conversation. And yet, when it comes to just getting a nice $300,000, dollars anything below a million, it's still possible. It's just a matter of just having a solid plan uh, and then having to, having the right resources and making sure you can you can acquire that home. The interest rates, as we've seen the last year or two, have gone down historically. But there's more purchasing power for the buyer, which is one reason why, you know, if you're thinking about buying a home, it's def that's definitely one thing to consider. And it's just the real estate is going to be here forever like real estate happens because life happens like someone's going to sell their home tomorrow as crazy as this may sound someone's probably going to sell their home tomorrow because someone died in their family 
someone or someone's going to sell their home tomorrow just because they got to make that move down from Northeast to, to Texas for a job. And those are opportunities. Life gives us opportunities to be able to see what's impossible to, to be possible. Like you, you may never, you may, if you're listening to this, you may think that, oh, I can't, I can never get a home. I can never go home because I have all these student loans or I have all this debt or whatever the case is. Well, you know, you got to put a plan together to get you out of those student loans or get you out of that debt because I've talked, I've, I've spoken with potential clients in the last two years where I, I know like you could just hear the pain. Like they, they just, they really didn't think that they would be able to, to purchase a home because of X, Y, Z, or because their credit isn't like there. And yet when they don't know what they don't know, then obviously they're going to, they're going to be in that bubble of it's not for me. It's never going to be for me. And yet I have seen, and I have brought in clients for my team where they felt my credit is this, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, look, if you're clearly, you're still, you're motivated in a way to even get to home ownership. Let me set an appointment with you and my, my agent, have them show you and let's see what's available, see what's possible. And then next thing, you know, two, three months later, they're, they're, they're at closing. So it's just a matter of just knowing that anything is possible. If you really want it, and I'm at a point in my life, if I really want it, if I have a goal and I'm just like, you know, I want that, I'm going to just, I'm going to make it happen on planet. I'm going to lay it out and then just make it happen, work my butt off to make it happen. And that that's what's, that's what makes this country so great. And, and that aspect is just having that hard work, having that work ethic to get something that you want and home ownership should not be something that, that, that should be just for the elite or that shouldn't be for the top 1%. Everyone should be able to have some sort of ownership in their life. And once you have that, no one could take that away from you. So I want to, you got really beautifully passionate there and talking about you can rise above your station, you can make a plan and you can grow. And that's definitely something a lot of, so much so you wrote a book about it. Um, <laughs> so let's take a second to comment on the book. What's the book called, Asher? <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, the book is called From Broke to Bold. And the sub the subtitle is a testimony into real estate through faith, family, business. And it pretty much chronicles my journey in, into real estate. On uh, the beginning of it, I, I shared that I I was let go from my job in finance, my last job in finance, just out of nowhere. And yet I saw that as an opportunity to go to get my license. I only got my license, by the way, just for informational purposes. So I could have some sort of foundational knowledge on how to serve agents and, and pretty much get into the operation side of the business. So that's part of the reason why I never went uh, frontline. And yet I just, just talk about from there, you know, what I was able to, to do at that time when I got let go, it was a date, it was a year away from my date to have my wedding with my fiance at the time. So I'm like, so I think it, I had this like awareness. I'm like, you know, this can't be a coincidence. Like we literally just talked like earlier that week, we had just talked about, all right, we're going to have it on this date next year. And then I got let go like a day or two before that date. And I'm like, okay, this can't be a coincidence. So like, I knew from a backend standpoint, like I knew I was going to write a book or something, but like, I just didn't know how I was going to do it. And yeah, I was like just purposeful in that journey to get into real estate and then be able to do what I had to do to um, make the wedding happen. So that was pretty much the anchor of the whole book. And uh, yeah, throughout the book, I just kind of just talk about my struggles. Like there were, I've never been so vulnerable in my life from in a public standpoint until I wrote this book. And I think part of the challenge was to just be as real as possible. I didn't want to fluff anything up given my like what I've done in college and everything up to that point, a lot of people see me as like a success and just like, I have everything together. And that's stuff that definitely is not the case with this book. You know, I'm still learning a lot about myself and there's still other, other challenges I'm facing too, even now. And yet that whole thing, I just, I wrote it so I could you know, help inspire people who are looking to get into or just really get into whatever passion they want that they can really get there and that, you know, they have a purpose in life when you're meant to live life by design. So, yeah. What does your partner think of the book? Oh, she is great. 
she has been very um she enjoyed it so it was her and then my mother-in-law were like the first two that got the raw so it wasn't even the final uh but they got the like the raw uh manuscript and even then it was great they they had really great feedback obviously there was like clearances there with the names that are mentioned and yeah i've read it and i know like she said it and all that but i will say i feel like that the sign for writing the book was that it was the same day you were supposed to be getting married i feel like she doesn't feature heavily enough i'm just Mm. saying (laughs) (laughs) i feel like she deserves a bigger part in the book oh look there's gonna be a there's gonna be way more credit needs to be given (laughs) i appreciate i i I thank you for sharing that because that was actually (laughs) one in the beta reading that was actually one of the things that came back it's a great book to put her in here more <laughs> so I and I thought I did that, and because the, the next level of Beto, they're like, yeah, she's good. There's a there's going to be a, a sequel to this in the next five years. There is a there is a book, a complimentary book that kind of talks about the the success principles that I talk about within that within the memoir. There is a complimentary book coming out uh, in March. I had to delay it because of some of the content. But that's pretty much kind of, it's called coming from contribution and just uh, me coming from contribution of the success habits with getting up in the morning or pretty much my mentality of how I was able to get through all that stuff that I was talking about, like really struggling. And hopefully readers could really start implementing some of those uh, things into their own lives. So that'll be coming out at the end of Q1 at this point in 2022. And um, talking about you and your success. I have to ask you the question I ask everyone. Sure. How do you answer it when somebody asks you how much you make? Oh my gosh. I don't even say, I don't think I even say anything. I think that's my answer right there. It's like, enough. <laughs> or enough to kind of shrug it off. Because, yeah, because especially with the, with the book, which sold over 200 copies, I was very happy about that. I will share that. And then with being in real estate in general, people have this like perception. It's like, oh, you make a lot of money. So yeah. like, I mean, deals Where's the you... Corvette, my friend? Where's the... <laughs> Where's the Rolls Royce? Where's the That's Lambo? Right. I'm like... What's this Honda? Are... <laughs> yeah, where's this Honda? Where's this Hyundai? Yeah, I, I honestly don't even... I don't even answer that question. I, I just... I, I honestly just shrug it off and because I'm really trying to think, how do I actually answer that question? I don't know. I just say I'm real saying people are just like impressed and like, oh, cool. You must be doing well. So they just got to, they don't really like dig deep. Definitely, I will say I don't get the commissions at the level of the frontline agents. And yet I do make more than I thought I would if I stayed in finance for sure. So it was just a matter of seeing who I am. Like if you see me all energetic and happy that I must be doing something well in my life, like I must be doing okay and doing something right for myself. And then I just kind of share that and just get people interested in it. But yeah, if there are meme pages out there for real estate agents, and even again, even from looking from, seeing it from a back end view, it's just hilarious because there's like memes where like agents are just eating beans for days until they get their commission check and, and all this other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I don't necessarily, I don't have to worry about that, <laughs> but uh, I'll make sure we get you enough deals to, to make sure you know how to do that. But yeah, I mean, that, that's just something. Yeah. That, that question. I don't know it's a boring answer, but I honestly, I can't. No, think of- it's fine. It's always interesting because some <laughs> people are super like, I made last year $125,362.15. And like, yeah, but- <laughs> super, that's how much that. I made. And other people are like, I make exactly Nanya. If, if I were to share a number, especially with being on teams, I would just share how, like, how many families we served and that's like that would give a perspective and with being in a dc region maryland and virginia like the price points are all over the place so it's kind of hard to unless you actually do the math which i do i like do track that like tra- 
transactions, what the price points are, but it's just a matter of how many people you serve. That's, if anything, that's what I would share. And that I feel like that's a bigger impact than the actual amount because sometimes these teams out here or just agents, they get say, they can say they made all this sales volume and then they make all this GCI or gross commission income. And then after everything is taken out, what they actually net, it will be less than what they expected. And that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. Again, this is like operationally, like what I understand, what I see, it's just, it's not as impressive as some people might think if, if the team or agent is doing it a certain way. So that's why units, that's pretty much the more for me, the more, um, impressive number, if anything. So. I'll let you off with that. That's fine. So we're going to have in the show notes, the links to the book, to you on LinkedIn, to your group that you work with. What else, because we're almost out of time. So what else have I, have we not talked about that you want to make sure that everybody knows or that you want to make sure that we have a chance to discuss? Yeah, no, I think the, the last thing I wanted to share, and I can't, I, I can't talk about it in the book, but I am, how old am I? 27, uh, 27. So 27 years ago, I was born. And then two days later, I had I turned blue. Like I just stopped breathing. I, and my whole body turned blue and I had to get open heart surgery at two days old. So I got that took me a month to recover. And then I was able to leave the hospital and live this life. I, I was, and you know, growing up, I had a weird childhood, was bullied and learn all this stuff was I was fat at one point I had this health issues because of my heart surgery had low confidence and all this stuff and I this is kind of a really rushed version of it but the reason why I'm sharing this before you get off is because I just want to share exude the message that everyone listening to this everyone on here is you know you all have a purpose to be alive right now I don't know what your story is. I don't, I don't know what you may have gone through, but to some extent, we've all gone through some challenge that really questioned who, like, why are we here? Why is this happening to us? And yet I, I want to share, like, nothing happens to you. They happen for you. And when you're able to push through that and to be able to just fight and just take life by, by the throat and be like, no, this is my life. This is, I'm going to be able to make the best out of it. You can do so, you can do incredible things. You can do incredible things in whatever field that you're doing or whatever job you got. And that to always just aim high, act bold, and just be the best version you can be every single day. Don't let anyone or anything stop you from being, from being who you're meant to be. And just know that you're here by design. You're here for a reason. And that going into this new year, um, I, I trust that you will achieve everything that you would love and that you want to achieve and more. So that's all I got to say about that. That is a lot to say. And I think that is a great note to end on. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for thank the you. conversation. This has been awesome, Asher. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. You've been listening to, Hey, I want your job. For more information on how you can get your own awesome job, visit ONH Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real-world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Insta for more insider information. Soon, you'll be hearing us say, I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job.